podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. All right, good evening. Have you ever, um, you know, gone up to a group of friends and they were having a conversation and you thought you knew what they were talking about, so you jumped in? No? You never did? Okay. Well, it sort of happened to me the other night. I was, um, I overheard a couple of friends of mine, they were talking about something. And, you know, we've had the Desperation Student Conference here on our campus the last couple of days. We've had, gosh, I don't know, at least 3,000, I would think, young people from all around the country. Anybody go to any part of that Desperation Conference? Yeah. It was fun, right? You're exa- a little bit exhausted, maybe. So I, I, w- these, these two of my friends were having this conversation, and one of them says to the other, so how do you feel about the last couple days? And I, I kind of walked up right when he said that, and I assumed, oh, I know what he's talking about. Of course he's talking about the conference, right? And so you, you ever, you know, done the thing where you, he, he, they're talking to someone else, but you're right there, and so you start to go through the nonverbals of answering the question, even though it's not addressed to you? You ever done that? You know? So he's like, so, so, so how have the last couple days been? You know, person A to person B. And I'm like, oh, you know, like doing one of these, like ready to answer for him. And, and the guy goes, oh, it's just, it's been weird, you know. And, I, and then I said, what are you guys talking about? And found out they were having this totally separate conversation about something that I didn't know anything about. So then they had to take time to clue me in on what, the, what had been going on. And, and then I decided to weigh in once I, you know, found that out. But... <laughs> but it's a funny thing when you assume you know what's going on, and then, and then you find out you're, you know, you're kind of off. And, um, you know, boom, boom. We good? Just going to crack on us again tonight? Um, we'll try it. <laughs> yeah, we're switching. Okay, so Ephesians is a little bit like that because... Uh, in some ways, we, we, we approach the Bible with questions that we already have on our mind. And we have questions that are burning in our hearts. And we sort of say, okay, look, uh, here's what I need to know. I need to know about me, and I need to know about my life, and I need to know how to figure this out. And what is God saying to my family? And, and all of those are legitimate questions, correct? They're valid questions, are they not? Yes. But the, but the problem is we're sort of coming in, if we come in with those questions and begin there and say, okay, tell me what my life is about and tell me what I should do and tell me, maybe you sort of come to the Bible with the question of, tell me what the rules are, tell me what I'm supposed to be doing and then I'll do that. Or maybe you sort of come to it and you say, okay, well just, just you know, give me something that's going to be helpful for me tomorrow and that's what I, I need to know and then I'll get out of here. Give me some good advice, make this kind of a Christian, you know, whatever, Oprah, Dr. Phil, just give me some good advice and then we'll sing a few songs and then we'll eat that bread and you know grape juice thing and we'll get out of here right and if we come to God like that it's a little bit like coming in on the middle of a conversation that's already been going on and Ephesians in some ways is this book it's it's Paul's attempt to sort of give us a a much bigger view of things than we had already originally had thought we sort of maybe come to God and say, okay, I just want to know about me, and, I, and I've got this guilt issue, and I've got a, a sin problem, and I've got, uh, I need forgiveness, and, and all of that, of course, is true, but Ephesians tells us that God's plan, God's saving plan, of course includes you and me and our sins and forgiving us, but that his saving plan actually began before you and I showed up. 
and that his saving plan began through this family of Abraham's and through this nation of Israel, that his saving plan actually is designed, is aimed at all things. And, and that's sort of a bit surprising because we came into the conversation saying, hey, what about me? What do, what, what do I need? And that's a legitimate question. And again, the, the, the letter of Ephesians is, is um, in a sense, the way it's structured is kind of set up to be the first three chapters giving us this wide-angle lens view, giving us this, almost this cosmic view of what God is going to do and how God is going to rescue all things, how God, God's plan, master plan, his secret plan from the beginning all along. And then 4, 5, and 6, the second half of the book is kind of like, okay, now having set that up, now we can talk about walking worthy of your calling. In fact, Ephesians 4 begins with that phrase, right? So now walk worthy of your calling. What calling? The calling he's been describing in the first three chapters. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to sort of, we want to jump to the 4, 5, 6. We want to jump to, okay, just give me the nuts and bolts, and then I'll apply this, and I'll, I'll get out of here. But what's difficult is it's, we then start to find meaning for our lives just sort of within ourselves. And then God's work is defined by me. And it's almost like we're the lead actor in the story, and Jesus comes onto the stage for a few scenes just to rescue you. Wow, you're so amazing. You, the lead actor of the story. But that's not it, is it? Paul's reminding us that we're coming in on a conversation that's already been going on. We're coming in on a story that's already begun. And to be honest, that makes everything a whole lot more meaningful. That makes it so that we don't have to sort of wander around and say, okay, God, you know, I'm waking up today. Like, what is it, you know? I just don't want to make any decision that, that's bad. So is it grape nuts or Cheerios? And I just, you know, if I screw up my little destiny, then I'll just mess up everything. And, and, and we get so stressed out about it because we're looking at everything with this itty-bitty lens. And the goal of Paul's first few chapters in Ephesians, you know, they weren't chapter markings, but the goal of his first half of this letter is to say, whoa, hang on, zoom out for a bit. See this massive story, and once you see it, it may sound too far out there. It may sound too cosmic. It may sound too, what? But once you get that, then the question of you all of a sudden makes more sense. It's like being a player on the bench in a sports game, and you don't really know what the sport is, and what the score is, and, and what point in the game it is. And the coach says, go in, and you're like, cool. I'm in. Like, what is this? Is this soccer? Oh, no, no, it's basketball. No, what, what, what are we doing here? You know? <laughs> and, and if you've ever played a pickup game of sports, you know, on the weekend or whatever, play a pickup game of basketball, whatever, if you're not keeping score, if you're not aware of times, or, you know, there's no refs, you're calling your own fouls, so that's already sketchy, you know? But um, <laughs> it, in those situations, when, when you're in a pickup game, because there's no reference of when the game is over, because there's no understanding of whose team, there's no loyalty or anything like that, these are guys you just met, whatever. Because of that, the chances are the thing you're going to be most aware of in the pickup game is you and how you're doing and how many you know, shots you made and how much you're getting the ball. And if you're not getting the ball, all of a sudden, got to get home. You know? So that's sort of this thing here. And, and, and the setup of this is huge. So I want us, we're going to camp out in Ephesians 1, verse 15 through 23, but before we get there, I want us to start back um, in verse 7, okay? You good? You ready to jump into this? We're going to talk about something that, that really has tremendous implications for us and for our life, and once we sort of zoom out and then zoom back in and say, okay, so what about 
us? And what about me? What about the now? All good questions. Hopefully it'll begin to make some sense. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. A couple of verses here that are just massive. First of all, verse 7, where he says, okay, we have, in him we have redemption through his blood. One of the things you can do if you go through Ephesians 1 is, and if you have a translation, especially maybe like an ESV or an RSV that's, that's pretty precise and literal, you can circle this phrase, the in him phrase. It shows up four or five times just in the span of those first few verses. And Paul's trying to say, look, we're in Christ. We're in the Messiah. We're in Jesus. And because we're in him, we have all these things, okay? And so he says, in him we have uh, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, this idea, this, it's sort of, we've heard it enough times, and if you've grown up around church, uh, you've kind of heard words like redemption and blood. And if you haven't grown around, uh, up around church, then it's all just kind of weird, you know, blood, you know, what, what is this? But for these guys listening to these words, it, it, would, have, it would have conjured up a, a picture, a story, a memory. And the story it would have conjured up for them would have been the central saving story of what we call the Old Testament. It's the story of the children of Israel being led out of Egypt. Do you remember this story? You remember maybe memories of seeing it on a flannel graph board or something like that? You know, there's Moses and... He's rod or whatever. And the, the story goes like this. They're, they're, they're prisoners. They're slaves. They're living in the section of Egypt. And, and God says, Moses, go, go set my people free. And he goes. And there's all this buildup with his you know, interaction, his encounter with Pharaoh. And finally, on the night that they're going to be let out, do you remember what happens? All of the firstborn sons get killed. But, there's, but what, is, what does God tell the, the Jews, the people that are living there? He says, look, put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of your doors, and I'll pass over, and, and then you'll know it's time to get out. You're going to be redeemed. You're gonna, the slaves are going to be freed. So when he says that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, instantly, what's the narrative? What's the story they're thinking of? Passover. He's associating Jesus with this Passover moment, and he's saying, look, remember that moment where the people of God were once slaves, and they were let out in the middle of the night because there was blood that was shed? Paul's sort of saying, look, in Christ, we, now he's not sort of saying, he's saying, in Christ, we have the same redemption through this. But the imagery actually goes on, because we're going to read a couple of verses later where he starts to say that we have an inheritance, and he starts talking about the stuff that we are going to get because we're in Christ and what this means and all of that. And you sort of realize, okay, okay, wait a second. When the children of Israel were led out of Egypt and the, the blood of the Lamb was on their doors and they escaped in Passover, where were they going? To the promised land. They were going to a land that had been promised to them. You might say to their inheritance. So Paul's using a very deliberate language here to sort of say, look, this is what Jesus has done. He's, because of his blood, he's rescuing us out of slavery. But then he goes on and starts to talk about all this stuff in verse 10 to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment and bring all things in heaven and earth together. And you sort of get the feeling that, is Paul saying that 
there's more things that are in slavery. Do you remember that there's this passage in Romans 8 where Paul's talking about creation. And he's talking about how creation is groaning and waiting for the day that, that all of us get our redeemed, resurrected bodies. you remember that verse? And, and, and there's this thing where it says creation is groaning in chains. In a slavery, as slaves to something that they didn't, it's not, not their fault. They didn't choose it, but, but we did, right? So there's this image that not just you and me, but the whole cosmos is in slavery because of sin, because of evil. Things don't work quite right. And, and we know that. I mean, you think about, and you think about nature, and you think about creation, and those of you that like to hike and be out there and all this stuff, you know, and I occasionally will join you. Um, we know that there are days when it's just beautiful and it's breathtaking and then everybody's like tweeting verses like, the heavens declare the glory of God. You know, like, oh, what a gorgeous day, you know. And then, and then you, know, you know, a flood rolls in and there's like this massive storm and, and lives are lost. So there's a tornado that rips through a town. Nobody's like wanting to say, we don't know what to say about that. But you know what Paul says about that? That's creation groaning under its chains, that it itself is not quite right. It's not the way it was meant to be. And just as you and I were slaves, and now we've been redeemed through His blood, there's coming a day where even all of this creation itself will be set right, released from its chains. Do you see that? How He's working this Passover language, but applying it to more than just yours and my, your and my sin, but applying it to every crea- all of creation. I love this verse 10, when the times have reached their fulfillment. That just says to me that God has a master plan. <laughs> that God had this planned all along. And maybe, you know, just a small, small way of us kind of maybe trying to wrap our heads around this a little bit. Let's say you're a business owner. And let's say, you know, like so many business owners, you have big dreams. And say your business is building houses. And really, you know, in the back of your mind, your business plan, your long-term business plan is you're not just going to build single houses, you're going to build whole communities. And, and you really want to build more than just neighborhoods, but whole communities with community centers and all this stuff. You've got this development vision in your mind. And really, you're not just going to do it in one city, you want to do it in cities all across this country. And really, if you're honest, if things really take off, you want to take that model and do it in countries all over the world. Now, if you sat down with your first employees, are you going to tell them all that? Probably not. The first thing you're going to focus on is, let's, get, let's build this first house. You're going to say, hey, listen, Mr. Contractor and, you know, all these other, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to build this first house. But all along, your plan is you're going to build communities all over the world. It's a little bit like that. That God is saying, although I think he let Abraham in on it, you know, Abraham, uh, in Genesis 12, and he says, look, I'm choosing you, but through you, I'm going to bless all peoples. But God's got this plan all along. And when the times have reached their fulfillment, I love that. That his plan all along is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. But here's the amazing thing. If you read that verse in some different translations, it says it this way, that to join them together in Him. So here again, we have this in Him phrase. So wait a second. So you and I, we're in Him, and one day all of it's going to be brought together in Him. So what's going to happen for all things is already starting to happen for you. Now that's interesting. 
And so we skip down here. Ephesians 1, verse 15. Uh, for this reason, ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and, uh, and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in um, my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The focus tonight that we're going to camp on in these next few verses, having set that up just a little bit, is there's... there's Three things, really, that Paul is kind of saying we, he wants us to know. And he's praying. This is a prayer. Uh, th- I think that's significant because it's not just him sort of saying, hey, I'm going to give you bullet points here, memorize this. No, that's what I'm, I'm doing. But Paul was praying. And it was just this nice prayer. And, and I, there's something about that, the reason that it's a prayer, because of the things that he's asking for. So let's, let's, let's pick these out, okay? Number one, he's saying, I want you to know um, him better. Know Christ, to know Him better. God is not unknowable because He's chosen to reveal Himself. I know that we'll never get to the end of it. I know that we'll not be able to say, okay, I've got it now, I've got it reduced down, I've got it all down on my paper here. I know that that's not true. But is that a reason not to continue on in the journey? No. I mean, I think there's sometimes you get the feeling where it's like, no, God, well, I can't. And so I'm just not even going to try because it's just overwhelming and there's just too much. And, and, and what does that even mean? And so, so I, uh, I don't know. But the beauty of this is the way that Paul is praying, the fact that he's praying this is a clue to us. That knowing God is not first about a list of propositions or a list of truth statements. Hey, mem- you know, memorize this and all that. That helps us for sure. But he's saying, look, I want the spirit of wisdom and revelation to help you. That ultimately it's the Holy Spirit that's here at work in your heart, in my heart, in our lives, that's going to help us see him. That's going to help us know him. And, and, and how? how are we gonna, what are we going to see him as? Remember last week we talked about that phrase that Paul used, the Lord Jesus Christ. And how, you know, Christ is not his last name, but it's like, you know, and Lord is not just a title, but it, it was very particular words that Paul was using. And he says this, look, that, that you would see him, that you would know him, that you'd recognize Jesus as the Lord, the one who is truly king over all, the one who is truly sovereign over all. And last week I told you that that word Lord is the same title that Caesar would use of himself, and he would show up places and, and say, come on, I am Caesar, I am Kyrios and Soter, I am Lord and Savior, I am the one that is bringing peace and order and, and justice to the world and all this stuff. And Paul and the early Christians were saying, no, you're not. That the real Lord of the world, the real King of the world, the real hope of the world is Jesus. He's King. How do we know if we're knowing him better? I think we're knowing him as Lord. We're start, at least part of that has to mean that we're seeing Jesus as the real king in our hearts, in our lives, but also over all the areas in which we live and breathe and work in all of those stations. And he says, Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the hope, the rescuer, the deliverer, the chosen one. How do we know if we're knowing him better, I think in a big way, we start to recognize Jesus as our hope, as our Savior. You know, it's hard to imagine that we would make, cover much ground in this journey of knowing God unless we're willing to say that we need help. 
unless we're willing to say, uh, I need saving, I need deliverance, I need rescuing. And part of knowing Jesus better is this coming to the place of knowing Him as both Lord, the true King, but also as Messiah, the rescuer, the deliverer. Holy Spirit, give us wisdom. Open our eyes, open our hearts so we can see you, know you better, recognize you as the true Lord. It's a wonderful prayer to pray. And you think about it when you go to your workplace and you know you've got that boss that's always breathing down your neck or whatever. And you say, you know, Jesus, before I step in the doors today, Help me to see and remember that you are the true Lord. As I go in, this is an overwhelming situation, and there's so much that's going on, and, and, and I don't know how much of this I can change or repair, but help me to go in and remember that you're the true Lord. And all of a sudden, you begin, knowing him better is not an abstract thing, although there is something mystical about that, but it starts to take shape in the everyday stuff. And so you're saying, help me to know that you are Lord even in this situation, even in this chaos, even in this, this, this thing that's beyond my control. Help me to know that you're the true Lord here. Help me to know that you're the Messiah here. Help me to know you as the rescuer here. God, in this situation that is just far beyond me, I'm going to say help. And in this confession of help, I'm going to know you as the deliverer. But that doesn't come unless we're willing to say help. Unless we're willing to say, gee, I, I want to know you better. I want to know you as the Savior. Save me even in the midst of this. The second thing Paul goes on to say is, okay, um, uh, we'll read this and we'll, actually we'll, we'll pick it up, verse 17, so know him better. And then verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And he starts to talk about this inheritance thing. And you're like, wait, wait a second, what, what is that? Christ's inheritance. What is Christ's inheritance? What is, what is he going to get? What, what's, what's he waiting to ultimately receive in its fullness? Verse 18, the one that we just read, says that his inheritance is us, the saints, that it's our hearts, that his reward is you. Think of that. That his reward is you. But it's also, like verse 10 that we read earlier, it's also that all things will be brought together in Him. That Jesus' inheritance is that creation, that all of it, heaven and earth, will be brought together, will be rescued, redeemed, set right. That that is His inheritance too. Now this is an interesting uh, passage. You skip down again, Ephesians 1, verse 22 to 23, and Paul goes on at the end of this prayer, and he says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You remember the Old Testament reading that we just heard read tonight about God letting humans be the one that things are put under our feet? And there's something about when we disobeyed and we rebelled that we sort of lost that place. And here's Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man, coming. And because of his perfect life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, Paul is echoing Psalm 8 for us and saying that God has put all things under his feet. That he lived the way Adam was supposed to live. And so all of this authority is his. But then it gets better. And now we'll jump back to verse 11. We're just kind of piecing our way through this. 
In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, these guys were, might be for the praise of His glory, and you also were included in Christ, all of us, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked, there's that phrase again, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Now at this point, it's all starting to sound like, blah, blah, blah. I mean, what is this? this what is he saying? How, how can this be? What, what Paul is saying is, look, when you believed in Christ, you, you became included in Christ. You became in Him. And because you're in Him, you get, a, you get to enjoy, you get to hope for an inheritance as well. Wait a second. So, so, so we know Christ better. We know Him better. But, but are you saying that there's something about knowing our hope and our inheritance? Yes. Now, what is that? Because that word inheritance for us is like, okay, so... What are we going to, is this like mansions of glory and like, you know, maybe, you know, is that what we're sort of hoping for, our inheritance? I mean, you know, should we just get more excited about more stuff? Is heaven a materialistic person's paradise? You know, I mean, what, what is this phrase? Is it, when you think of things that you could inherit and depending on your family and what it might be, you know, could it be um, a car, you know, and maybe it's a, uh, car that looks like that. Like, okay, it's not bad, you know, I'll take it. It's better than nothing, you know. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a house like that. You're like, wow, okay, sweet inheritance, you know. Uh, Maybe it's a whole country, and we don't know what flag that is. It's an imaginary country. It's yours. But what if, not a car, not a house, not a country, what if it was this? (laughs) What? What if it's New creation, new heaven, new earth. What if because all things will be brought together under his feet and be included in Christ and because we're in Christ, because everything's under his feet and he's now fully reigning and we're going to reign with him. What if the end is like the beginning? What if the end goal that God had in mind was just like the very first beginning, that there would be this beautiful universe that human beings were set to take care of and tend and rule. What if that's your inheritance? Like, well, I don't know what to do with that. I'm going to inherit the cosmos. And what is this, like Battlestar Galactica? You know, like you're going to inherit a, a galaxy. You know, you can name it. You can name a star after you now. And that's pretty cool, you know. Hear those ads on the radio. What do we do with this? What does that mean? I think what it means for us is to understand that God had a plan all along for making human beings. And yes, it is for a relationship with Him. That's interwoven in it. But that the thing that He says to them in Genesis is, is, look, be my image bearers and take care of this thing. But that's our role. And because we're caught up in Christ and because everything is going to be set right at the end, we're, we somehow are preparing now for that. Now that sort of says, okay, so... That means, regardless of sort of what I'm going through here and now, that there's something to hope for beyond this. Yeah. That means that that the things that I am in charge of now, I can practice this thing of taking care of it and doing well with it because eventually we're going to be set in charge of more. Yes, that's true. 
But you know, going back to our Exodus imagery, Paul says we have this deposit with us now. And who is it? It's the Holy Spirit, right? Now think of these guys, they're out of Egypt, okay, they've been redeemed slaves, and they're journeying, and they've got an inheritance coming, right? They've got a promised land coming. But what's the assurance that they're going to get there? There was some presence with them in the wilderness. Do you remember this? It was a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud at day. And so they didn't need GPS, although they did wander around, but they wandered around because of their own hardness of heart, not because the, the pillar got lost, Okay. But they had this assurance that, look, because this presence of God in a manifest way is with us, we're going to get there. They're going to get there. Paul calls this deposit a guarantee. Think of all the richness that we have in our relationship with God because of the Holy Spirit. Think of the the, the sense, even in times of worship, where we can pray and and you can, there's peace that's flooding into your heart, and there's joy that's breaking. Think of that, and then imagine that that's really just a down payment. Like, really? So you're saying to me that what's coming is better than what is. Right. That what's coming is better than what is. I don't know how often you are in need of hope, because some days are really great, right? But there are plenty of days that, that feel pretty despairing, feel pretty hopeless, and feel like, well, are we going to get there? I mean, is this thing going to happen? I mean, what, you know, and Paul's saying, look, I want you to know that there is this hope, there is this inheritance, there is this master plan of God that is going to happen. Keep walking, stay following, stay tuned in, we're going to get there. But then it gets better. Ephesians 1, 19 through 23, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He's, this is con- finishing the sentence of what he wants us to know. He wants us to know our hope. And he wants us to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but in also in the one to come. Here's Paul telling us, look, in case you forgot, there's an age to come. In case you forgot, this is not all there is. There's going to be new heaven and new earth. There is an age to come. There is a moment that, that all things will reach their fulfillment. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul wants us to know Christ. He wants us to know our hope, but he wants us to know God's great power. Think of it this way. There's an inheritance that's coming, but you've got the deposit now. There's a power that we saw at work in the past, but it's still working in us now. This thing, and he ties in, how does he, what's his biggest picture of God's power? It's the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, was that a party trick? Was that like God's elaborate party trick? Hey, guys, check this out. You killed this guy, and I'm going to raise him from the, is that what it was? No. What was the significance of God raising Jesus from the dead? We talked about this a lot Easter Sunday night, if you were there. The, the, the massive implications of this is, look, the plan that God had all along is now in effect. 
Look, here's a person who died, the very Son of God, fully God, fully man. He died, and now he's been fully resurrected. And look, because he has been, we are going to be. Elsewhere, Paul calls Jesus' resurrection the first fruits. It's the beginning that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead will one day raise you and me from the dead and give us glorified, resurrected bodies. What? Yes. And it's already begun. How is that hopeful? Have you ever been to a concert and the only, you only really wanted to hear this one song from the band, you know? Maybe if you've, I mean, the only concert, the only sort of quote-unquote secular concert I've been to is U2. I'm a huge fan of U2, but I really, really was waiting for the moment where they would play Where the Streets Have No Name. You know, I mean, that's just sort of classic, and you sort of sit through the concert, and you sit through kind of all the newer stuff, and you're like, okay, cool, and the newer stuff, yeah, great, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden you hear the opening riff. Or actually, what you hear first is the pad. And then you're, ding, 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 and you're like, that's a song, that's a song. That's a little bit like these guys. Because they had been nourished on these prophecies that said one day the creator God is going to conquer death. One day he's going to let death be swallowed up in victory. One day the creator God is going to make even the worst enemy, death itself, no more. And, and, and so when Jesus gets resurrected from the dead, that is God's power at its fullest display. And for all these early Christians, it was like the opening riff of where the streets of no name had just begun. And they were like, it's happening. He's doing it. God's plan to rescue it. God's plan to set it right. God's, it's, it's happening. And Paul's almost bursting out of his skin and saying, look, that same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in you. That's why he says, we're new creation. It's starting to work in you and me. That like the pillar of cloud was the hope that Israel wandering through the wilderness would eventually get to their inheritance, that is the reason we have hope that we'll get there too. I don't know how you gauge your spiritual life, quote unquote, if you call it that. But maybe you sort of take stock of how you're doing in this journey based on you. And you sort of say, well, yeah. I don't know, I feel like I'm circling the wilderness this week, you know, I'm not really making any progress toward this, not really growing, not really, you know. I have amazing news for us tonight, that because the Holy Spirit is God's own power at work in us, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. And yes, we're going to have to cooperate with Him. And yes, we're going to have to learn to obey Him. And yes, we're going to have to unlearn some habits and learn some new ones. Later in Ephesians, Paul actually uses the phrase, we're going to have to put off things like anger and pride. And we're going to have to put on. There's active verbs required of you and me, for sure. But before he starts telling you about what you're going to do, he wants to tell you about what God is going to do. And I think we have to begin there. Because this pilgrimage on our way to the inheritance, to the promised land, this pilgrimage is not you and me wandering alone, hoping that we get it right, hoping that we figure it out. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, I'm leaving. It's good for you that I go. I won't leave you as orphans. It's good for you that I go because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. This deposit 
of our inheritance, this great power working in us. Ten years ago, when I first moved to Colorado, I said yes to a very foolish thing. It was an invitation to join a few interns and hike Pikes Peak. And uh, I had no idea what I was saying yes to at the time. I just moved here, you know. And uh, Aaron, you remember this, you know, it was 24-7 interns, they were doing this thing, and, and uh, Ross, my boss, you know, I, I was coming to intern under him, and he's like, Len, I think you should join the interns and hike Pikes Peak. And I was like, sure, cool, you know, uh, okay. And, and then I started to find out more details, like we were going to meet at the church at like four in the morning or whatever, and I'm like, four in the morning, really? Is that really necessary, guys? <laughs> I do my best work afternoon, you know. So they show up early, and, and, then, and then they say, okay, now you got to bring, you know, pack a little lunch. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, you might want to bring a light backpack, you know. I'm like, okay, went to Walmart, got a little backpack, you know. And I show up, and everybody's got their stuff, you know. Like, they're in, like, legit hiking shoes, and, and they're telling, you know, yeah, this is, like, extra lightweight, you know, whatever, whatever. And, uh, and I'm showing up. You're, you're laughing because you've been there. And I'm doing this thing, and, uh, um, and they're like, okay, here we go. So we start the hike, and first of all, we get to this, we're going through a parking lot, and I'm like, this is weird, we're climbing up a hill for a long ways, and we get to this parking lot, I'm like, when, you know, okay, and then we get to the actual trailhead, and I'm already winded, you know, so we get to the trail, don't, don't laugh too hard, we get to the trailhead, and it's, it, and I, I look at it, and I think, I can do this, I mean, it's, if you've ever done it, it's pretty wide initially, right, and it's dirt, and you're like, oh, this is easy. This is, I thought I was going to be like on my hands and knees, like rock climbing. I, I can do this. So I'm doing this thing. I'm like, okay, it's all right. You know, a couple hours in, really getting tired. I'm lagging behind. There's like 50 people doing it. I'm really, I'm working my way towards the end of the group, you know. Three hours in, I'm hurting, you know. I'm like, oh, I, I just don't think I can walk anymore. And there's a guy that comes up to me, and he's like a third-year intern. He's done this, I don't know, three, four times. You might just do it for fun. I don't know. But he's like, hey, Glenn, let me take your backpack for you. And, and ordinarily, I'd put up a fight. But, but I, I said, sure. So I gave him my backpack. So, yeah, man, go ahead. And I did not feel bad about doing that. And, and, and so, so I'm hiking, and, and I'm thinking, all right, oh, this, man, that backpack, what was in there? You know, and there's, there's like a sandwich in there. But to me, it might as well have been a boulder. And so, but I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I got my second win. I'm hiking. I can do this. So I, I keep going, and we get to bar camp, and we sit down to eat our lunch, and I'm eating. I'm like, okay, this is going to be great. And then they start saying phrases like timberline. You know, like we're about to hit the point where trees can't grow. The air is so thin. And I admit, I got a little worried. Um, started asking questions like if anybody had died from doing this before, and if they were sure that this was safe, and, you know. And they were, you know, they really didn't take that seriously at all. And um, so we kept going. But this, these last however many miles it is from bar camp up on six miles were just awful. I mean, I was just like getting, I was cramping up big time. And I stopped, I think, every 20, every 30 minutes. Just stopped and sitting down. Like, Whoa. But there was a guy, one of the leaders of the program, who, who had also done it many times before. And he decided he was going to walk with me. And so he'd sit, I'd need to take a break, he'd take a break with me. I don't think he really needed it, maybe one or two of the breaks, but not all six of them. Um, but he'd sit down with me, give me crackers and water, and, you know, uh, I don't know. And, and so I'm, I'm doing this thing, and finally we get to this point where they're like, oh, 
It's the, what is it, the 16 golden steps or stairs, you know, which is the worst name ever. Because if you've done this, it's not stairs. It's 16 switchbacks. Now, that's just cruel. Because when you tell someone that it's 16 stairs, I, I mean, I'm already a little mentally weak with it when it comes to f- physical activities of endurance, you know. And so I'm setting myself up for 16 stairs and then 16 switchbacks. And finally, we get to, towards the last one. I lost count. They were so long, each one was. And I, I can see that there's a crew on top. And, you know, I'm seriously like one of the last 10 out of the 50 or 60, whatever. And I can see them on top. And they're sitting down. And there's vans pulled up. And I know there's food and drinks. And there is bragging rights waiting. And I can see the goal. And so I start to run. But as I run, my legs say, I don't think so. And so they lock up, and they're, che- okay, they know I'm not part of their program, but they had now taken a liking to me because I was doing this with them. And so they're cheering me on. Come on, Glenn, you're almost there, man. You're almost, they're cheering me on. And I'm hearing chariots of fire music, and my leg is hearing nap time music, you know. So I'm starting to run. They're cheering me on, and my legs lock, and I fall. And I fall, and they, uh, but, but, you know, anyways, the guy who's walking with me says, no, come on, we're going to do this. He helps me up, and we make it to the top, and I thought, I will never do this again. But I can say, and I'm proud that I can say, I did it. I hiked Pike's Peak. You know where I'm going with this. We know this hope, this future thing, this future inheritance There's something about knowing what's coming that helps us live today. It's not just arbitrary. It's not just, yeah, you've got an inheritance coming and the Lord is, you know. It's not just, oh, well, cool. It's it's Paul saying to all of us, look, God's had a master plan all along. And he's going to set it all right. And because you've said yes to him, because you believed, because you repented, because you're in him, you're included in this. You get to partake of this master inheritance, this plan that God's had all along. Really me? Little me? Yes. Itty bitty me? Yeah. You are somehow in on this cosmic, long-held, mystery, plan of God thing. And so he sets it in front of us like a summit and says, we're going, that's where we're going. But then he's, he doesn't just tell us where we're going, he tells us how it's going to happen. He says that same power of God that was at work in Jesus is at work in you. It's here. It's here. There is one who will walk alongside you. There is one who will nourish your heart and your soul when you get weary on the journey. There is one who will sit with you and rest with you and help you be restored. There is one that won't quit until you reach the end. That's why in one of Paul's other letters he says, I'm confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day that Christ Jesus appears. For these New Testament believers, it was unmistakable what their hope was. Their hope was the day that Christ Jesus appeared. The day, and it was in the New Testament reading tonight, the day when the Messiah returns and all things will be restored. That's the day we're hoping for. And how do we know we're going to get there? Because His power is working in us. Amen? Think of that this week. Tomorrow as you go into work, as you're, 
even as you walk out of here and you remember the situations, the many situations that feel overwhelming, that feel beyond you, that feel beyond us, that feel just beyond, you know? The things that, say, that you might say, I, I do not have strength for this. And remember that you're part of this great pilgrimage out of slavery and into the promised land. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that this was no improvised plan, but this was your master plan from the beginning. Thank you that even before we had let evil in to our hearts and to the world, you'd made a way to set it all right. Thank you that for all of us in this room that have said yes to you, we've been included in Christ. I pray for strength to fill our hearts this week, that we would know Christ, know you as the Lord, as the Messiah, as the one present with us at every moment, that we would know the hope, the inheritance, the thing that's coming. It's not always going to be this way. It will be better in the end, but not just that, but to know your power that is in us now, that it's begun now. That there's power, your power in us to help us be righteous, to help us obey, to help us love our wives, to help us love our husbands, to help us love our families, to help us do our jobs well, to help us be your light in the world, to help us do all the things that you've called us to. It's your power at work in us. God, we want to say yes to that. We do say yes to that. You flood our hearts, flood our lives each day the strength to walk, to do the simple things, to be your people on the pilgrimage with you to the place where you're taking us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Man, thank God. Mm.